If you enjoy Talk Me Into, boy, do we have a surprise for you. We have a brand new video show because video killed the podcast star. We all know it's true. It is called So Discussions, where we discuss sodas. Yeah, join us every week as Jeff and I discuss soda, pop, fizzy things. And bubbly. Yeah, whether they're delicious or gross. Is it so disgusting or so delicious? You won't know unless you watch every Thursday on YouTube. (laughs) That's really results may vary. (laughs) So this is a movie that you guys will like. I thought it was okay. Oh baby, that was good. I am stupid. I like to cook slop. Do you want to top that slop? Thought we were going to have fun here. Yes, queen. Down with guilty pleasures, up with pleasure pleasures. Did we talk you into... Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other and maybe even you into liking what we like. This week is Roy Orbison. My name is Jeff, and my daughter's favorite genre of music is everything. Okay, I guess I'll go. (laughs) My name is Jimmy, and editing commercials is harder than I thought it would be. My name is Dan, and I like to smell like wood. Of course you do. I like because that, why wouldn't you? I like how you take things that we either have assumed about you throughout the course of this <laughs> podcast or that you've just said in other ways and just reword it to be very funny. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've talked about that, but you probably have assumed about me. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I know it about you. You're just an earthy an earthy man. Yeah, I mean, if I have like candles and stuff too, don't yeah. you? Yeah, so like that's my scent group i would say is like wood uh so if i like go to a store and and there's like a whole section of cologne and i need to make like this happened to me when i was traveling i wanted to get a little small travel size bottle of cologne just to have something with me and uh i was at walmart because it's cheap and uh i was like hmm you can't really get samples of these things so i have to make a decision based on the name alone so there was obviously all oh, a million different varieties, but one of them said uh, sandalwood and vanilla. And I was like, that's me. Yeah, that sounds about accurate. Yeah, yeah that's you. So would you say that 100%. you are Groot? I am Groot. Oh, okay. Or at wow. least wow. I like my body to smell like Groot's balls. It's <laughs> a weird thing. I don't think that he had balls. I've seen him naked. <laughs> I didn't see any little twigs and berries down there. (laughs) But dude, he can alter his shape. He can grow like at any whim. So just think about the possibilities. Just branching out. What what about patchouli? Are you a patchouli dooley? So here's the thing. I, I disliked patchouli growing up and I still don't think I would wear patchouli. But I, I got these incense matches, which I may have talked about on the podcast, which I you have. I really and I I hate them. Whenever I go over there, I'm like, ugh. He put oh, I like it them. smells like patchouli. I don't know what's worse, <laughs> doo-doo or patchouli. 
So that was from like a sampler pack and the patchouli ones are gone. And now I'm on to musk, which I like a lot more, but I, I'm okay with patchouli. What, like I wouldn't choose it, but even is musk. You want to get scientific or do you want to just hear like a, an easy explanation? I want both. I want you to make a joke. I want us to <laughs> laugh. And then you say, no, 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 but really. Well, actually the science is the joke because musk is derived from the stink gland of a beaver. Is that real? I think I knew that. Yeah, most musk now is is a fake recreation of that. But yes, the original well, yeah, I musk. I don't scent. think that there's an industry that is you know dissecting beaver glands. Oh, you'd be surprised, my friend. Well, in America, <laughs> yeah. in the civilized world, not those heathen nations. Like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, continue, Jeff. What are the heathen nations? <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> let Jeff's me list heathen them nation off. list is Jeff's. <laughs> yeah. Jeff's heathen nation list is shockingly close to donald trump's shithole countries list <laughs> it's actually the same thing like uh, zambia nice. the real country cool because he said the name yeah that was the joke that was <laughs> dan jeff we have a youtube comment we should read because fine read it. it's always care. fun to to say some things Yes. Dan, I think you have it pulled up, right? I do. What, what was our YouTube comment? We got a YouTube comment, which, guys, don't forget, you can leave us comments and we'll actually read them just like this. Or you can leave us reviews where you can totally trash us as long as they're five stars and we'll read them. So we yeah. got a YouTube comment on our Friendly World 150th episode sing-along video, which I put together to look as shitty and cheesy as possible. And... uh I should put a disclaimer that you edited that and yeah. I didn't. <laughs> I edited it on iMovie in a half an hour. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so friend of the pod. Well, not friend of the pod yet, but maybe because he seems to be a nice guy. Dimitri Alvarado said, yeah, here's to 150 more. What a sweet I worked comment. with him. Awesome. I know him. I didn't know that was him that left that comment. Oh, oh. So he is a friend of the pod. Yeah, I worked with him like three years ago. That's funny. What That's cool. Thanks, yeah, Dimitri. Every now and then, we'll just talk about pizza. He sent me information that Flocos oh. uh, burned down. Yeah. You talk oh, to him about yeah. Pizza Gate or just pizza? Uh, mostly Pizza Gate. We're trying to find where the entrance is. <laughs> nice. You got to <laughs> stop the Clintons, dude. Stop them. Yeah, I, I quit this podcast now. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> This is the segment where we're talking ourselves into things. We're just trying to figure out something to do, or we're just trying to like we're trying to do this, or <laughs> it could just be something time. that we're, we're enjoying. The podcast yeah. at least an hour long. <laughs> yeah. We like this segment though because this is our little banter segment. If you don't like it, you can look at the show notes and skip over to Roy Orbison. We get it. He's would, more talented than us. I still love like uh, an analytic to see which people actually like this part more or like the topics yeah. more. Our family yeah, and I'm friends curious. like this part more and they're most of our listeners at this point. <laughs> That's not sick. Accurate. We love that. <laughs> 3 years in. That's cool. Um, so I have been talking myself into, uh, working from home for the very first time in my life. That's wild, um, dude. Like, love you it. Yeah. Taking advantage of that. It is great. Uh, I wasn't able to at my old job. So now I am taking advantage of it. Jimmy, um, cause my old, the, look in the camera right now. Look at my face. I'm looking. People can't see this. Do you see how unkept <laughs> I am and how you could probably smell me? Yeah. Right. 
this is working for me. <laughs> yeah. This is what it's like. I can smell that musk. I just wake yeah. up and I'm like, showers? What are those? That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I've been working from home for the very first time. And um, kind of go picking back off of my fun fact of making commercials is hard. Um, so I've been working at an advertisement company uh, making commercials for different clients and, and whatnot. Um, the problem is I have... Jim Draper comparatively to my office speeds very slow upload speeds my upload speeds are 12 megabit per second and there they have fiber internet that's a gigabit and um that's a lot faster than my internet (laughs) so um whenever i upload commercials it will take a half hour if they're two minutes long and they'll take 15 minutes if they're one minute long and we do mostly two minute commercials and uh sometimes i upload like 10 at a time Oh, I was going to say, do you have to like wait yeah. for them to be done to do anything else or like, does it actually, uh, that's basically production or can it run in the background? No, I mean, I could, I could upload in the background, but like, I can't upload multiple things at once. It has to go one after the other. And, uh, um, so you it, actually it takes very attention. slowly. Yeah. As to when they're uploading. I mean, luckily they queue up in our website, but, uh, this is all very boring, but it's, it's, it's been hard working from home, but I've also been yeah. enjoying it too because it's uh it it's is. nice I've... to spend some time with my kitties and uh some yeah, it's been nice to stay home. Yeah, I, I've always said that, you know, working from home for me is more difficult just be it's not so much internet speed because I'm just like looking at numbers and stuff. Um but right. just like having less monitors and just like not so much the focus because right. you I can still stay focused at while at home and get the same amount of work done. But it does seem yeah. like there's just some kind of disconnect that makes it a little bit more difficult, whether it's human interaction. Um, so Agreed, I, yeah. I prefer working from home to say, to stay safe, to save gas, to be with my family, especially earlier this year when I did it four months straight every single day while, you know, my daughter was a little tiny baby. That was great. I'm just like, Oh, I have to go to the bathroom, but I'm also going to give him a little baby a kiss on her head. Yeah. That's cute. That's cute. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's been good. I've been enjoying it. Um, I've actually been weirdly more productive at home than I was in the office, which I don't know if that's good or bad. I think that's probably because uh, you're like, oh, if I mess this up, they're going to get mad at me. So you're like probably doing more like that is partially it. Make your presence known at work. They see you at a desk, but here (laughs) they only see you like when you do work or send an email or something. Yeah. Last week, I basically were from home like every day except for like one day. And I ended up like basically making three entire commercials from scratch which was kind of crazy because that's kind of crazy so i had it's a couple months ago i had an emergency where i had a call out of work right so two days before that i called my boss for a not so bad emergency where i just had to be home i was like hey i'm gonna be working from home but for these two hours can you find somebody to cover my desk and he's like sure two days later i send him a text saying i can't come into work today he misunderstood that as I'm working from home today. So he didn't find mm. desk coverage for me. So at two o'clock, I get a text like, hey, are you working today? Because I wasn't responding to anything. But like I found out it takes eight hours for my boss to notice I'm not working. <laughs> oh. And with that, we'd like oh, to thank nice. you all for joining the Working From Home podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dan, what are you talking yourself into? I am talking myself into... Leaving the world of aluminum deodorant and antiperspirant. <laughs> okay, so this is something that I actually we love this for you, Dan. But I've never done. Yeah, because I'm stinky. So 
I didn't start this because I'm against aluminum. Like, I'm sure aluminum is bad for your body and you shouldn't be rubbing it all over your skin, you know, all the time. Um, but the main reason why I wanted to make this transition was, like, how can I describe this? I, I don't think I'm that stinky of a guy when it comes to perspiration <laughs> in my underarms. I, I think that what I've been utilizing since I've been a, a, a pubescent boy is overkill for me, for my body. And, and I feel this way because I've never smelled a smell, which is good. You don't want to smell body odor on yourself. But also, like, when I shower in the morning or in the evening, there's, like, gunk caked up in my armpits. And it's just, like, Ugh. too much. I, like, like, Okay, let me cut you off here because I smell <laughs> bad. I I use deodorant regularly. It's not like I sit here and pour sweat. But Do right you use deodorant or antiperspirant? Antiperspirant, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. stick, antiperspirant. No, I wanted to make sure. Okay, it is a difference, but yes, I use antiperspirant. And like, you know, I'm sitting here in a regular temperature room. I can feel my pits are kind of damp. I use a regular amount. I don't cake it on. I have armpit hair. It doesn't get caked in there. I use the white powder. I don't like the gel because it's. I had. I was irritated by it previously. So I found that white powder doesn't irritate powder. my armpits. You well, don't the, use a stick? No, it's a stick, but it's like, it's the white kind. You know what I mean? Oh, right, like a solid powder. cream? Yeah, yeah, like that. So that's what I use. By the end of the day, like I could smell the deodorant, but I could also smell me just doing regular tasks. But I yeah. never once had stuff caked onto my armpits. The most that's ever happened is shirts that I've had for like 10 years in the armpits. They're kind of like discolored and weird. That's it. I've never had gunk. How much how much shit you you scraping onto your body? Are you using like a butter well, knife or something? Obviously, you're not using enough if you stink at the end of the day. Or maybe I'm using too much. But maybe either you way, need to find a happy medium. And Jimmy, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Are you our Goldilocks? <laughs> Jimmy's the Goldilocks. I don't think pit. so because my underarms of like t-shirts are pretty like stained Gunky. of white. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want you guys to think I'm like using an ice cream scoop to pull like shit out of my armpits. I just mean that like when I wash my armpits, the hairs would be like, like coated, like, like, I don't know how to describe it, but like greasy or something. All all I can Uh, think about, I think about it all the time too, is there was like a MTV unplugged with LL Cool J and he was shirtless and he had just these (laughs) balls of white. Yeah. Yeah. Like white beads of deodorant. Yeah. And I'm like, what the I think about it all the time and this is 20 years ago I seen this. Ladies, <laughs> all right, so let me get back awesome. on let me get back on subject. So so I was thinking like this is overkill. Like my armpit hair is gross. I was actually developing a bit of a rash in one arm cuz I was just like this is too much stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to switch from an antiperspirant to a deodorant. And if I'm going to do that, I might as well commit to like an aluminum free one. So I bought one, tried it, stank. Bought another one, tried it. It was better, but it was still a little like I could smell a little bit at the end of the day. And I'm like, okay, Did let me see what I can do about this. You stunk through it. Like it didn't make you stink free. Right. That's what I mean. I stunk okay. through it. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, let me try something a little different. And this is what I've done just the other night. Now, guys, this is very this is very controversial what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> I heard Howard Stern talking about this exact same problem. So I decided to try something that he recommended. And this is a big step from me. I took a beard trimmer and Uh-oh. I clipped out my armpit hair. Oh, boy. I can't do that. My pits are too sensitive. Not, I can't deal with it. Not all of it. I didn't go down to the skin. I left oh. maybe like a half inch. I put the guide on it. But 
my armpit hair was very long and I felt that it was just trapping the smell in there. I don't and think like, that's a real thing. I think that's an old wives tale. I don't know. My armpit like, okay. hair would get hair goopy does, with the stuff. Hair does, you know, capture stuff. Like I've, I've said stories before, like when I'm in New York city and I come home, my beard just smells like garbage, right? No, like yeah. It just captures smell. It's true. Smoke gets captured in it. Things like like fire, if you're around that, it smells like it afterwards, you know? But I don't think armpit hair is, like, enough to make it, like, that strong. Well, but here's the thing is, is if you have a lot of armpit hair, like, which I did, is it's not just capturing the smell, but it's holding sweat. It's, like, literally absorbing the liquid, whereas if you have, like, more free flowing access to air that's going to like evaporate more. All right. So I'm not saying that like, this is curing my issue, but I'm 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 trying it and maybe we'll get a follow up in the future. But so far uh I think I'm doing okay with the aluminum free deodorant and I I'm hoping that it'll be even better with shorter armpit hair. <laughs> Jeff, yeah. now that nobody is listening, what Man. are you talking yourself into it? Wow, this is this is great. Roy Orbison everybody. <laughs> um yeah i've been talking myself into mostly my wife because she does all the important stuff around here but baby proof in the house because i got a i got a mobile human now she's no she's, she's mobile she's all of a sudden dude like one day she was like yeah i'm gonna crawl and she just started to and she's off, she's <laughs> off dude she's into everything awesome. she'll open up every door she opens them up crawls in the closet which is she could go in her closet it's fine but like baby proofing we have to put things on the door so they don't slam like slam her little piggies when she opens up a door yeah uh put up well, especially you want to be supportive you want to be supportive to her when she comes out of the closet if she does yeah sure that's her decision <laughs> to make uh at the right time in her life if that's one of her options uh but or yeah. just when she crawls out yeah, well, when she crawls, yeah, she has she can't get locked in because we put blocks. Yeah, you on don't it. want to do that. No, babies getting locked in closets are bad ideas. But yeah, <laughs> she's uh, just you know making sure that she's safe, making sure that it's more annoying for me to do anything in my house so that my baby is safe. Yep, yep. <laughs> so what's the most annoying thing that you have to deal with now, Jeff? Well, the thing is, is that in my living room, like it goes from the living room to the dining room, and. It's just really wide, so we don't have gates for that yet. She could go in the dining room. It's fine. We have like a ball pit in there for her. She loves crawling in herself. A ball pit? The ball the pit balls. my parents I want a water. ball pit. Yeah. Well, we have we have two. So that, oh. that one is there. Um, and But going into the, the foyer, into the kitchen, it's where we put all of our shoes and we walk in. So I don't really want her on the floor there. So the annoying part is like, of course, she wants to go there and play with shoes that I walk in like piss puddles and work bathrooms. And, you know, (laughs) like, I don't don't want it. Like, even without a pandemic, I don't want her touching dirty, filthy shoes. So just like wherever she can't go, she tries to. And then you pick her up and she cries. And I'm like, no, just (laughs) reset, crawl this direction and the world is yours. But like securing furniture to the wall like you know now she's trying to pull up and and all that so it's just you know it's just something you got to do it's not really interesting dude why don't you just keep your life simple and put just wrap her in bubble wrap (laughs) yeah that would be really good actually that's a good idea (laughs) or one of those giant gerbil wheels (laughs) you know the clear plastic ball well i mean when we take her out if we go into a store i put a plastic like ribbed wind thing over her because she can't wear a mask so yes it's it's the world we live in now babies and bubbles let's do it love it love it
Kelton Orbison. I just found out his middle name was Kelton by going to his Wikipedia page. <laughs> is that what I you was... chose to look up or was that just an added benefit? <laughs> that was the added benefit. I was looking up okay. one other obscure fact that I will say later. But yes, his name is Kelton, uh, born in 1936. And unfortunately, passed. I somehow knew you were going to introduce him that way. <laughs> unfortunately, passed at the age of 52 in 1988. It's very sad. Um, he but, was only 52 when he died. Yeah, he had a very Damn. tragic life, dude. He had like his children died and his wife died and everybody's fucking dying. And then he dies. Why Sorry, his songs Jim. were so sad, dude. He is a very sad boy. Uh, but <laughs> Roy Orbison is. <laughs> He's like, so he kind of started out like rockabilly before that was like a thing. Like it was a thing, but now like his style kind of influenced who rockabilly kids became, you know, like the pompadours and the glasses. He was, he was a pioneer in rock and roll back in the day. Um, and it, so he's doing rockabilly. He's doing rock and roll. He's crooning. He's, he does it all. You guys are going to listen to this playlist. You're going to be like, oh, wow. I'm sure you're familiar with some Roy Orbison, and we'll get to that. But there's some stuff on here that that might shock you at how good it is. So I got into Roy Orbison. Um, my dad had a VHS tape of a concert he did. Um, it was originally broadcast in January 1988, so just before, uh, like a, about a year before he died. Um, Roy Orbison and Friends, Black and White Night. It was filmed in black and white. It has like, you know, a lot of people, you know, Bruce Springsteen. I was going to say, I think I've yeah. seen the Bruce performance. Katie Lang, like they're his backing band. I believe like Tom Petty might have been there. I can't Is think. Is George Harrison in it? I think. He may be. Um, hold on. Let me see. Guest. Elvis Costello, Tom Waits, um, Bonnie Raitt, Jackson Brown. There's there's a whole bunch of people. It's a veritable who's who. Yes, it really is. So he had this this concert that he would play. It was, I want to say, maybe on TBS or something. PBS. Um, Wikipedia says Cinemax, but I believe it was broadcast on public television later. Um, so, yeah, he would just play this. And, you know, I kind of knew the hits from from pop culture. Like Pretty Woman um, became a popular song in the 80s because of the movie that came out. And that's my introduction to Roy Orbison. Are you guys familiar at all with his music? No, not surprisingly. Yeah, I, I know a pretty good amount of Roy Orbison, actually, the hits, come to think of it. It's not something that I, like, sit down and listen to right. regularly, but I could probably reel off five or six songs. Yeah, I think, I'm obviously, I'm going to put some of those on there, but there's such an extensive discography, and there's a lot of, you know, for, for artists who were around back then, there's a lot of, like, bad, too. <laughs> Like there's, there's some more boring stuff, yeah. especially in the seventies and stuff, but he really saw a second life in the eighties. A lot of his older songs were becoming more popular. Um, you kind of saw that with little Richard too. Like he re-recorded some of his songs in the eighties, um, like good golly, Miss Molly. I think that was a video with John Goodman in it. <laughs> um, hmm. but he also, uh, un he did unfortunately pass early. He had a couple, um, albums that were released posthumously. Or like, I think Mystery Girl might have been released like a month before he died or something. But he he was gaining more popularity towards the end of his life. So, you know, I'm curious to see where it would have gone had he not passed so early. But I got back into Roy Orbison. I want to say maybe when I got Spotify, right? So like the early 2010s, 
I was just listening to mm. some music and just further exploring his discography. You know, I've since picked up some records here and there, a lot of like compilations and things like that. But I think that Roy Orbison inspired a lot of people that we like. He definitely had an inspiration on Bruce Springsteen. Um, you know, Orbison sings for the lonely. This is a very popular line that sticks out. Of, um, and the road. Yeah. I don't know, man. There's there's so much I can say about this because over the years, Roy Orbison has definitely become in like my top 10 favorite artists. And, and we say this a lot on Talk Me Into, like, you know, we can't do all of the popular things all at once because we won't have content. Well, I've been saving this for three years. I think it's time to finally talk about hmm. Roy Orbison. Um, I don't want to wait too long. And then like one of us has a heart attack or like we can't do the podcast anymore. So <laughs> I just yeah. I just want to get this out here. So I'm excited. I think that this one is just a guarantee. Yes. Um, my hopes with this are that I just introduce you to more of his catalog than you're familiar with. And um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to put together a playlist for you. I'm excited to listen to it. I've enjoyed what I've heard. I've always sort of thought of like, of the early rock and roll guys, uh, Johnny Cash was the goth and Roy Orbison was the emo. So I'm kind of excited to hear more of that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, dude, that's cool. Like his early stuff is like, it's really rocking. Like, yeah, he does go through some crooning stuff, but there's like, there's like some big band stuff in there. There's just, it's really good. Yeah, I'm stoked. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to this too. I mean, we've talked about him a lot. Just yeah. Whenever we talk about music, you usually bring him up. So I'm interested to see where this is going to go. And I mean, nobody rocks sunglasses like he did. He was a sunglass <laughs> king. So weren't they prescription yeah. though too? I'm sure, dude. There's some album covers of his that are very funny. Of like his glasses are huge, like they were at the <laughs> times, but then they're like all crooked too. It's like, dude, you're making an album cover. Can't you just like adjust them? <laughs> no. no, but yeah, very cool. 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 Nice. So cool. look up the show notes. We're going to put the, the playlist in there, right, Jeffy? Yeah, yeah, we are, Danny. I'm probably going to make this long so you guys better enjoy writing notes and listening <laughs> to music. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I'll see what I can do. Okay, bye. Bye. Oobie doobie. We're talking about Roy Orbison. With that um, much enthusiasm. Yeah. Can you bring with it in with a little bit less energy? Yeah. Oobie doobie. Ooby dooby. Okay, let's Ooby get. Doobie. Let's get. Guys, in my Roy head this week while listening Orbison. to him, I've referred to him as Rorbison. 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 I love Rorbison. that. That's awesome. So yeah, we're gonna be talking about the playlist that Jeff got us. He uh, he made for us. He made it just I, for us, man. I, I curated it. So when I made this playlist, I it was like it's in a loose chronological order. Not every single song is like. This came out this date and this date. It's kind right. of by era because I didn't Damn it, do Jeff. I didn't do much research, but like Ubi Doobie was his first single, but it's third on his playlist. But it's the Sun Records era. So I'm just gonna it, jump in right here with a little behind the scenes info. I specifically asked Jeff if this was in chronological order, and he said yes. And so many of my takes are based on whether <laughs> it progresses or not. <laughs> I don't think Jim, you asked me if this was in chronological order. It was he paint, did. Paint it black. was in the beginning oh. of this episode, I believe. Well, if you listen, I said that it's going to be like a loose <laughs> chronological order. 
Okay, I'm not going to hold you to that. Well, whatever. It, it doesn't matter because it, each single song might not be in chronological order. Like when we get to the end, the two traveling Wilbury songs are not in the chronological order on the record. Yeah. End of the line is the well, last track, matter. but I get it to you first. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's it's by era and it's all well, Jeff, like the same time. In order to make this episode funnier, I'm not going to alter my takes at all. I'm still going <laughs> to okay. say them so that they make zero sense. Well, also, before we get into it, I, I text you guys a kind of non-spoilery thing last night. Like, I know all these songs pretty well. I've been listening to them for years. But when I was researching for notes, just like, you know, a little bit more information than I actually know. Not crazy. Like, this isn't like the ultimate Roy Orbison, you know, history lesson. But there's a lot of things I didn't know. <laughs> and there's a lot of surprises. And that's why this podcast is fun, even when you're the one giving the topic, because now I know a lot more about something that I already like. Yay. And learning is half the battle. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's learn. So our, our first song is You're My Baby. And uh, you definitely get like that honky tonk vibes that I was kind of expecting with like early Roy Orbison. Like right. is it it just felt very like fifties rock and roll, like the very beginnings of it. It's I got skiffle. some like yeah, I got early like Elvis and Johnny Cash right here. Oh yeah, yeah. dude. That's Especially what it kind of like. you know, it's like the same record label that, you know, elevated country and early rock and started to fuse the two and you get rockabilly that comes out of this or is part of this. I don't really know the line of when rockabilly became a thing. Yeah, it's Sun right. Records. What struck me right off the bat is how high his voice is. I think I'm more familiar with later Roy Orbison. Right. Um, I mean, he's like 19 or 20 on this, so he's very damn. young. Um, I was pretty impressed with his guitar licks, and I'm pretty sure that's him playing them. Like, these early Sun recordings were pretty minimalist. I did do a little bit of research to try to track down, um, like, who was featured on this recording, and he's listed as the only guitar player, so props. Yeah, he, Reminds me of Chet Atkins. Yeah, I know that like he he mostly does rhythm during a lot of like his career. He'll have a backing band or he kind of plays with like the same studio musicians, but it's not right. quite like Bruce and the E Street Band where it's like either Bruce is playing every instrument or he has the E Street Band. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he has like people writing the songs for him and stuff. It, it's pretty much industry standard, but, you know, he's very on these early records, though, music. there was only like three dudes and he was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, all those older bands were trios, even though they had like two guitar players, a bass player and a drummer, but they're trios. Right. So the next song, Rock House, I didn't like as much as You're My Baby. I mean, it's still got the early feel, but it's pretty corny. And yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's a think of it as like, you know, I think it was recorded in like 56, maybe. Um, so this is that era where like teenagers want to have fun and rock and roll. And that's what the song is. It's not as like as punk rock as your my baby is but punk it's still yeah, i mean it's it doesn't have the punk rock ethos punk. it does not the ethos is not there but Correct. you know i wanted to give you a chunk of sun record stuff so you know like where he came from his influences like jimmy mentioned elvis he loves elvis and we'll get into that later and elvis had a reverence yeah. for him as well later on because elvis he's elvis was a little bit older than him and already you know famous at this point elvis is a right. bitch Side note, this song was yeah, co-written by Conway Twitty. <clears throat> oh, is it really? Yeah. That's cool. He's a big country guy. Yeah. Hmm. Famous from Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I don't Conway I was Twitty. wondering why uh, Jimmy had such a reaction to Conway Twitty. I'm like, is Jimmy secretly a Conway Twitty fan? <laughs> <laughs> it's because of Family Guy, that one bit that they kept doing. Because yeah. that's what Family Guy that does. That was a funny recurring uh, Yeah. But uh, yeah, Rock House was fine. Like, 
I got some like jailhouse rock kind of vibes with it. Um, but I was I, like, oh, I, this is fine. this is what the B-52s listened to when they started their band. Rock house. <laughs> what yeah, about uh, now Ubi Doobie before we get into it? This was upon research, pretty much one of his first songs he record. There's a version out there of him with the Teen Kings. It's even listed on Spotify, which was mm-hmm. his band before he became kind of solo. And this song is kind of what got him found by Sun Records. Um, mm. It's just somebody wrote it for him, like some record executive in like two minutes or whatever. And they recorded it um, like th- th- he had the music, but I guess the lyrics, they just wanted something simple and it doesn't mean anything. This is just another example of just like a fun rock and roll song. Uh, what did you guys think about Ubi Doobie? And have you heard it before? This is one of his, you know, most well-known songs. I, uh, I've i never heard of it, but I I mean, like, the resemblance to Tutti Frutti is striking. <laughs> like, I was just like, immediately, I was like, which came first? But, I mean, it it was fine. Like, it, it wasn't anything, like, amazing. I was hoping for something maybe a little bit different from, like, the era. But, like, I mean, like, rock and roll then kind of kind of controversial but i mean it all kind of sounds the same to me yeah for sure uh the 50s stuff but you know i mean it was fine in in nerdy music theory terms jim this is a standard 12 bar blues progression which <laughs> right, right. is the exact same as like literally this song is the exact same chord progression and pretty much the same melody as blue suede shoes and bebopalula yeah. very close to bebopalula yeah um but yeah, like Jeff said, it feels very much like these early industry rock and roll songs that were churned out to be played at sock hops and high school mm-hmm. dances and things like that. Right. One thing that jumped out at me, I don't know if it's the um, the actual like production of this track, but <laughs> all I kept thinking about was how has this not been recycled in like a like mid like 2000s Tarantino tracking shot in a movie or Tarantino style tracking shot yeah. in a movie? <laughs> I'm I don't sure, know if it's good enough for that. I'm sure it's oh, been in Jim. something. His his songs have been in movies like that, like uh, you know yeah. David Lynch used in Dreams. Yeah. Um, so then we get on to like his next progression musically, more like bigger, robust songs. Um, right. You oh, can definitely feel the more like a studio musicianship. Like he was like in a bigger, like right. bigger budget. Basically, I guess. I guess growing in his musicianship. Uh, maturing in his sound experimenting with different things and you know like jimmy said you can only do so many of those rock and roll songs um so then we get into right. only the lonely yeah this one has of his like biggest a, songs really i think it's his first like number one hit this has right. like a slinky four seasons vibe um when you add the additional backing vocals and the um falsetto that he hits in here this is sort of the era that I think of when I think of Roy Orbison. For sure, yeah. It's these big oh, crooning ballads backed up by a big band. I mean, he's yeah, got... Yeah, it's like big band or... It's almost symphonic, but there's there's horns, there's strings. Yeah. But I think it just really is a, is a much better showcase of his vocal talents, which he was known for, than the typical right. rock and roll dance songs. Yeah, I mean, this song was really good. Um, it, it took me a couple of listens to like actually appreciate it because I don't know. I, I don't think I was expecting it mm. um, because like some of the other, I, I think I kind of resonate more with the later Roy Orbison Pretty stuff. Woman. Right. But right. The songs Not necessarily heard, just that. The but. songs we've heard so far, like let's say You're My Baby and Only the Lonely, these two styles kind of interweave with each other in and out throughout his discography. Right. So you you still have a lot of these recurring themes Sonically. Right. 
I don't think he wanted to get locked into like being a Frank Sinatra type. Right. So that's mm-hmm. why he would throw in some rock and roll stuff too. I think that was like, from what I have heard, like stories from Paul McCartney about touring with Roy Orbison back in the day is like, he thought of himself as like a real rock and roller, but the record labels and his audience, he was just good at doing these big dramatic ballads. Yeah. And like this song, Only the Lonely. I remember in the first part of this, Dan was like, he's a real sad boy. And mm-hmm. a lot of his music is, it has these these tones, Only the Lonely, being alone, just crooning. And it's kind of just like hearing his voice is almost like listening to somebody cry, right? Just like mm-hmm. the way that it it flows and gets like high higher pitched. But he's also said when he wrote these songs and through most of his life, like there was a lot of tragedy later on in his life, but most of his life, he was coming, he was writing songs from a place of content and he's just trying to get different emotions across. But like inside, he's just happy and love and life and rock and rolling. Well, Jeff, that's a beautiful transition to crying. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about like songs he's known for, for his, his voice. This is like, number one like this is the song where he really showcases what he can do and his full range mm-hmm. he's the mariah carey of 50s boys he's pretty <laughs> unique for male singers because i believe he has a greater than three octave range i was reading yeah yep um this song i mean it's it, it goes paris pretty well with only the only kind of feels like a sequel um mm-hmm. his falsetto really runs wild in this minor key especially like that big dramatic ending. That was sort of a signature for him um, to sort of have everything yeah. ramp up to this big dramatic end. And I, I mean, one like thing that's a little different higher and higher and just more. Yeah. Intense. And it's really funny. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen him perform live, but he just stands still. So yeah, like, yeah. I was watching a, a video of him performing this on the Johnny Cash show and the stage is empty. It's just him with his acoustic guitar. The band is off somewhere else, or maybe it's just a backing track. I don't know, but he's just standing still. Even during the high parts, he's just completely still like, it's also odd to see him do all this really sad stuff with a big smile on his face. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I like yeah, the, this uh, song. Was, go ahead, Jim. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I wasn't like super in love with the song when I first heard it, but I did start to appreciate like you were talking about before, like the um, obviously the vocal range is pretty crazy and just like it, he does have a really good voice, too. It does really fit this kind of music, and I think it's pretty iconic. Yeah, yeah, this um, is a song that I didn't good. appreciate for a long time coming from a punk rock anarchy background that I did. Hmm. I was like hmm. crying. What a loser. You have emotions. And like, it's not <laughs> either, it's not even punk rock, dude. But this is a song that has definitely grown on me over time. And I I sing it in my head all the time. I can't sing out loud or else it sounds like I just did. Like, dude, that sounds uh, exactly like him. You don't dude, hear that. You think really, Dan? Do you want yeah, to start a uh, Roy Orbison cover band where I'm only the if you sing? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then we so on the same album, I put this is probably like my top three favorite Roy Orbison songs. Dance. Oof. Oh, really? Don't agree with that. Wow, got an oof. Yeah, I this I don't know how popular this song was when it came out, but it's like one of those songs that's just hidden in his discography that. I love, I love everything about this song. What's, what's the oof about Dan? So it's a little too polished for me. It feels like the earlier songs, but with the addition of big band strings and horns, it's yeah. like that. It's like the dad rock of these like 1950s dance songs. I don't know. I, I think that it's like, it, 
it's the genre that you just said, the 1950s dance songs. But to me, sure, it's polished. It was recorded in like, you know, a studio. And it's obviously, you know, coming from the record company that's footing the bill. But it it has more grit to it, I think. And it has more of like a spontaneous feel for something that is obviously, you know, well orchestrated. I, I do think it takes a twist um, and becomes a little bit more fun and a little less buttoned up at the end when he starts doing like the improvisational vocals, like the ming and the uh-huhing and yeah. all that stuff. During that part, the first couple of times I heard it, I thought it was a harmonica. Then I was like, no, that's just his voice. He's doing yeah. like these. It's, I, I don't know. I love it. I love how the song just starts out as like one of those stereotypical dance songs, like you mentioned. And then it like mm -hmm. it slows down and, you know, it's going to build back up. But for this time period, it was more just like a four, 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 four. You know what's going to happen. And this kind of just like slows down, gets a little funky and swingy. And then it just like builds up and like that part where he's like, yeah, and he like screams and the music just comes back. And it's just like this wall of sound. The horns are going crazy. He's just having fun. The background singers. I don't I love this song. I think it's a great song. Mm, I thought it was OK. Just <laughs> kidding. No, I thought this was good. Um, I didn't mind it as much like the buttoned up kind of feel uh, as Dan was saying. That's how that's kind of how I feel about the traveling Wilbury stuff towards the end of the playlist. I, I agree with that. Really, yeah, I wasn't super in love with that either. Um, I have but, takes on that. We'll get there. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I thought the song was fine. Um, not my favorite, but I thought it was a bop. Like I wasn't really like, um, wasn't really in love with it, but I could see why some people would like it. And yeah. Jeff. Yes. Running scared. Yes. I found this to be a bit of a slog. Um, I agree. It's got it's got this slow like triplet march. I will say that when the full band kicks in, mm -hmm. it, it takes off a little bit for me with the strings. It it brings it to a new like emotional high, which the majority of the song before that doesn't really reach for me. Right. Um, I I agree with you. This isn't one of my favorites. One of the reasons why I put it on this playlist was to show you like the full picture of Roy Orbison and also it's <coughs> one that fans like. Uh, it's one of his more popular songs or more well-known songs. Uh, like I said, it's not my favorite, but you know, so, like when I did the Weird Al episode, I put on songs that I actively hate to see what you guys thought about them. Um, I don't actively <laughs> hate this one, but I want you to see the full picture. So it's Jim. not like it's not like I'm trying to you know sway you and like only give you "You're My Baby" and not "Running Scared." You know, Jim. Shout out right. to Jeff for wasting our time. What did you think of this one? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of feel the same. It was definitely kind of a slog. I always, I think it's funny when like these like big, like epic, like you have like background singers and stuff and it's like, just like a rock and roll guy. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. It, it just kind of didn't mesh well with me. I do think one thing we haven't talked about a lot yet is lyrics because they're pretty yeah. straightforward, standard subject matter stuff. This one right. felt a little bit, um, more advanced than the regular, like, I miss my girlfriend or I want to be with my girl. That's what we've gotten mm. so far. This one is sort of like a love triangle. Like, yeah. Uh, who, who are you going to choose? There's like aspects of that. So I found that it's a like little that, bit fresh. It's around that time when like me and Mrs. Jones came out and mm. it's, you know, adultery is all the rage, but then it <laughs> like, it makes you want to be with the home wrecker, but it also doesn't, you know, you don't have enough information to really pick a side. 
like is this girl's boyfriend or husband abusive or is he just trying to steal her away yeah. um so you don't really know whose side to pick but you still feel for the narrator and want him to run away with the girl mm-hmm. right jim i bet you have takes on the next one that's why i put running scared i needed to bring you back down a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i literally just wrote well okay we're talking about oh pretty woman i mean that's all i wrote <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> It is what it is. Like, it's a good song. I mean, obviously, it's like, it's definitely his most popular song. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, yeah, I mean, it's good. This is where you get a lot of those Orbisonisms. Yeah. Um, you get like yeah, the mercy sure. and the. Yeah, right. Um, which oh, you can do that. I can't do that. It, it oh. must have soaked a lot of teenage panties back then. Oh, boy. He's so weird looking, too. <laughs> hey, man, that's not nice. Just because he had a big old poof on his head and thick rim glasses and like a weird pointy nose um, hey man <laughs> no i mean jim i think you suffer a little bit from too much familiarity with this song to realize yeah. like how good or important that it is if you take a step back <clears throat> there's some stuff that's not yeah. only different for him but like different for the genre um this that's is fair this this is like the first guitar dominant song that he's done and it the guitar is mixed real high and it's like double and triple tracked. This this might be like the birth of riff rock, like this idea where you right. write a guitar riff and then you build a song around it rather than writing a song and adding some lead guitar over the top. Right. And also yeah, how, it, how it just that. starts out with the drums. Like, yeah, you've had that before, but this is just like in your face. You know? It's just yeah. right up front. It's already setting a tone for the riff that's about to come. And, you know, nobody even heard this song before A Star is Born when Bradley Cooper performed it <laughs> on stage. <laughs> but, Good call. yeah. Thank you. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Paul this- McCartney was on the Howard Stern show talking about how he was on a tour bus with Roy Orbison while he was writing this. And um, basically, like, he said that he had the riff and he just kept playing it over and over again. And then they got to a rest stop and they all were like going to run in to use the bathroom. And he was like, I'll just finish it up when I get back. And he went and used the bathroom. And when he came back, he was like, I think that's enough. I think that's pretty much the song. (laughs) So like taking a few minutes away made him realize like that guitar riff is iconic enough. It is simple, but I mean, even just like the way that he phrases everything the way that he sings all this like it's just pieced together very well too and if you listen like really closely i don't know if you listen to headphones or if you really deconstruct this there's piano in there that like dan said this is guitar driven but there is piano in there but it's in the background and you know even for years when i was a kid i never picked up on piano i just heard but you hear like the piano doing this like its own thing it's like and it just pairs so well it just makes this really nice texture yeah um the next song mean woman blues um this song is so reminiscent of another song that i had to search for it and play them back to back was it reminiscent of mean woman blues by elvis presley which was a cover of like a black guy song no that's interesting though Um, (laughs) it is yeah (laughs) Uh, no, the thing that I don't like Elvis, so I don't know that song, that version. It's one of the songs that I'm like, yeah, Elvis is pretty good. It's, uh, very reminiscent of the Ray Charles song, I've Got a Woman, which was later sampled by Jamie Foxx and Kanye West. But if you actually listen to the real version of I've Got a Woman, it's like this song. 
it, yeah, it's huh. very similar. I mean, this was Roy Orbison loves Elvis, and we'll get into that in a couple songs because I have more of a note. Um, but yeah, this I think that if you listen to the Elvis song, because a lot of people are familiar with that version, I don't know if you guys are. It's got uh-huh. the same vibes. It's got like the same rock and roll, like. But I think Orbison's version, it's it amps it up a little bit. It gets a little bit mm. edgier, and it's it the energy is a little bit higher because the Elvis's version. While I've heard, I actually heard Elvis's version before this, and I like Roy Orbison significantly more than <laughs> Elvis. Um, but Elvis did it for a movie, and you know when Elvis was like a, a movie star. Yeah. Mainstream audiences, you have to water things down back then a little bit. Like it's still, it mm-hmm. still was good. Uh, maybe a little, you know, a little macho, but I don't know. It's just Roy Orbison's version is so much better than Elvis's. And it, Elvis wasn't the originator of this. It was written by like one other person and it became nothing. And then he just put it in a movie. So there's two, there's one thing I absolutely love about this song. And then there's one thing I really hate about it. The thing I love is that he has a guitar solo in here that rips like it's his best guitar playing on all these songs. Yeah. It's really and I'm good. pretty sure it's him. Um, and the thing that I hate is the sha la la backing vocals. Like <laughs> if you want to talk about like this being a tougher, grittier version that like cuts the balls off this song. I don't know. I think it, I think it meshes well. I really like this song. Um, I, I mean, I didn't really dissect it as much as you did, Dan, but um, it, I just thought it was pretty much like a ripper. I really thought the it was really big emphasis on the drums towards the middle of the song. I thought it was really cool. Like I don't remember hearing anything that was kind of like that during this era. Um, and also the uh, album cover. He just looks so badass, man. <laughs> yeah, whatever so Spotify good. has, it's like from some anthology. I don't know what the album is. Um, yeah, and then we get to Uptown <laughs> in Penthouse number three. What'd you guys think about this one? Jim, you go. I liked it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I liked it. Um, I wasn't, again, I didn't write a lot of notes on this one in particular, but um, this is one that I kept on like coming back to. And I was listening to it a little bit more than the rest of the album. Yeah. It's kind of like a swingier version of dance. And you know, if you want to talk lyrically, it's, it's just about the American dream baby. Just like he's, you know, he sees his lady and he's like, one day I'm going to have money and you're going to want me, dude, you know, get, get money, get bitches. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. I did song. not like this song. Um, really? Oh, this is I, one of his more popular ones too. Yeah, there's something about him doing these like big dance rock songs with a full like big band, like swing band. It it all I could think about was it reminds me of like early musicals trying to simulate rock music for a show tune. Oh, I don't agree with that at all. I don't know, Jeff. It's, it's pretty no, what you pretty just said big. is like really corny. Like I under yes, it's it's highly produced. There's a big band. I get that. And you know, I know that it's not like straight up rock and roll, but I think it's I think it's a rock and song. It's really fun. I don't know. I did really enjoy the next couple songs though. Uh really dreams. As I'm as I'm going we're going through this playlist, I have it right in front of me and I'm hearing everything you have to say. I see these two songs and I'm like, Dan is going to shit on this and he might be a no. So No, because why the thing is start? the thing is like the use of the production and the big band and and all that for me doesn't work on like rock and roll songs, but when he does these big crooning ballads, it fully works. So, all right, so. the the sad, dramatic, um, 
soaring ballads. They could come off as like schlocky, but his vocal performance is so tight and so emotional that it, it sells it for me. Like the vibrato and the falsetto just it just sells the lyric. It it feels like um true. And and the other thing that, that I wanted to note about these big songs is it would be very easy for these like big slow ballads to get long and boring. But he manages to keep them all tight. Like they're all under yeah, they're three, all minutes three minutes long. Yeah. You gotta fit it on a forty five and play it on a radio, you know? So yeah, I mean this one in dreams really works for me. it's like up there in emotional content with um you know, crying and stuff like that. Right. In Dreams was, this is one of his most popular songs that he's known for, like Pretty Woman, In Dreams, Crying. You know, that's when people hear Roy Orbison, that's what they think. And this is another song where, you know, I've liked it over the years, but it's grown on me. And I did read while researching this that he comes up with most of his song ideas when he's dreaming. And this song, he was like half asleep when he thought about it. And he got up and like, and he was it. like, bro, I'm in dreams right now. <laughs> and he wrote it in like 20 <laughs> minutes. But, you know, it does have that feeling of like when you're falling asleep and you're about to start dreaming. Um, it kind of like thinking of it that way, you can go on this journey. And he says that usually when he hears a song in his dreams, when he's writing it, he always hears it as a DJ introducing him as Elvis Presley performing the song that he's writing. <laughs> That's weird, which, which I thought was very funny. So a lot of songs we've listened to, he's, you know, he's taken that Elvis energy and made it his own. Yeah, I don't love In Dreams or Blue Bayou. I wasn't like really feeling these. Um, I, I Maybe I'm just not a big fan of the big crooning songs. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you, Dan. His vocal performances are great, but um, I don't know. Just not really for me. I don't Didn't think. Didn't appeal to you? Dan, no. what about Blue Bayou? Did you like specifically? Well, first off, I didn't know that it was a Roy Orbison song. I know the very popular Linda Ronstadt version. Yes, she covered it, and that's kind of like her big old hit. Yeah, and um, I like his version better. It's She did it slower and like sort of sultrier, which is cool, but his version really brings to mind like the Cajun vibes. Um yeah. Reminds me a little bit of Jambalaya by Hank Williams. Like it has this sort of like mid tempo, like slower bounce to it. Right. And it's a little more stripped down too. like you have acoustic guitar, you have harmonica, which isn't prominent in his songs. Yeah. And point. harpsichord, which is a very interesting choice. True. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's something even in the chord progression that reminds me of that, like Cajun New Orleans vibe. This but is definitely dun, dun, going dun, on dun, my. Dun. New Orleans playlist that I'm oh, working on for my you. trip to the Dirty Bayou. I don't know if that's a nickname. So Twinkle Toes, I'm interested to see what you guys have to say about this. This is a song I was not familiar with until like a year ago. I went into Red Scroll and bought every single Roy Orbison 45 that they had. Um, <laughs> usually when I go there, I look for Roy Orbison LPs and 45s, and they happen to have like eight or nine 45. So I bought them all. And this was a B side on one of them. And I never heard it before. And while I don't think it's his best song, it's reminiscent of those earlier Roy Orbison dance songs to me, like, like dance, but you have like a more party vibe. Cause you have, you know, the, the people in the background talking and I don't know, I, I think it's a fun song, but nothing like crazy special. What do you guys think about Twinkle Toes? I think that this song was kind of a turning point for me for Roy Orbison. Um, for the better or like worse? The, for the better. Oh, um, okay. I really, 
yeah, I was kind of like, I don't know, just like the entire like first half of this playlist, I was sort of like, all right, I kind of get these vibes, but like, there's, it's not really like striking anywhere that like an Elvis wouldn't like do for me. Like I grew up like a big Elvis fan. Um, so I was just sort of like, yeah, this kind of feels just like, I don't know, like more of that kind of dude. Music. Now it's my job to convert you into a, a Roy Orbison fan <laughs> and not like Elvis as much. Well, that's what <laughs> you're gonna, here for, I'm, Jeff. I mean, no, but you, I'm here to talk you into Roy Orbison. That's my job. But we need to do a talk you out of Elvis episode. <laughs> I don't know why we hate to Elvis family. so much. <laughs> yeah, Jim. Our I mean, own, I'm not a huge fan of him anymore, but Jimmy, our own grandfather, was shunned right to his face by Elvis Presley. How could you appreciate <laughs> the man? True. Really? I still, I don't know. We haven't know told that story on the podcast? Not, no, we need, you need to tell that right now though. So, <laughs> so my grandfather was an enlisted man. Uh, he was actually drafted uh, after the Korean War when they still had the draft. And uh, somehow, I guess like because Elvis was either currently enlisted or was, you know, a veteran, he did like a tour of military bases. Yes, he and, did. And, uh, my grandfather's job on the base that he worked at was to he was basically like worked in the like auto body shop not auto body but like garage so he like maintained the vehicles and drove them and stuff like that and uh i i guess like as part of elvis's transport he met my grandfather along with the other guys that worked in the shop and um he got to my grandfather and my grandfather put out his hand and said oh i'm a big fan and he refused to shake his hand and he said, just get the car ready and walked away. Wow. So there's no reason to not believe that story. But do you think that he was just embellishing it? Because like, uh, it's Elvis? I don't because he maintained it pretty accurately through his entire life. What I will say yeah. is like I can empathize a little bit with Elvis because they brought him to a military base at the height of his popularity. Probably every single person there wanted to shake his hand. Yeah, uh, and that could be a bit taxing. Um, that reminds me exactly of um, when my cousin and I went to a wrestling match at Naugatuck High School. And you've told this story. George the Animal was there, and like the <laughs> fabulous Mula was there, and Sid Vicious was there, just standing there watching. And me and was my Jake were the like, Snake there? Jake the Snake Roberts? I, no, I saw him at Naugatuck High School. That was a time. different. That was a different time. I saw that too. But my cousin's like, let's go get his autograph. And we walked up to him and he just, he didn't even move his eyes from the stage. He was just oh, like, no. He big timed you. Oh, he Mickey Rourke in the wrestlered us before that was a movie. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Jimmy's a traitor to our family. Damn it, yep, Jim. You could join my family if you like Roy Orbison. Um, all right, okay. Jimmy. So this was a turning point for you. So did you, I, yeah, I don't even I remember if you talked about the song or not. <laughs> I didn't. Um, no, I definitely really liked the introduction of like the electric guitar riffs. Um, it definitely felt like more. It was definitely like 60s, like more like, yeah, not quite psychedelic, but totally almost there. Yeah, it just felt to me like way more rocking than like I was I was expecting some more like rocking, like grooving kind of tunes. And that's what this kind of brought me to and i was like okay i think i i think i could see right. myself being possibly talked into roy orbison. so the thing with roy orbison it's like he wasn't a pioneer in anything that he did really other than like being extremely talented at singing and you know songwriting right. but because like as this goes on you can hear the era that the songs are recorded in and like you can tell oh, this yeah. was the 60s and he wasn't the guy that first made that electric guitar sound but you know he right. he definitely his his sound sounds like the era it's from, but he just does everything well. Um, mm -hmm. 
the yeah, next I'm going to actually songs, say yeah. I didn't get the chance to talk about Twinkle Toes. And what I want to say is that it's it's a decent song. It's weird to hear distorted guitar. But to Jeff's point, um, I actually think that's sort of a negative for him. He feels like he's following trends and sometimes he's a little bit behind the curve. And I, the stuff that I like from him best is stuff that's just quintessentially him. Okay, that's mm-hmm. fair. The next three songs are all covers, which is common with, um, you know, this type of music, this era, um, songs that we all know very well from other artists, but I put them all on here so you can hear Roy Orbison do it and see what you think. Did he do the songs justice? Did he do them better? Are they not as good as the songs you're familiar with? So we'll start off with Unchained Melody, which a thousand people have covered. Yeah, I mean, he's got the vocal chops to pull it off, but I really don't like any covers of this song that aren't done as a duet. Like, the song is pretty boring and standard if you don't have that two-part harmony. That's Jimmy, what I feel. Do you, I, I don't disagree. I still think it's, it's a pretty good version. Um, I would love it if he had done this as a duet with another talented singer. Mm, that would, that would be good. really yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I kind of agree with you, Dan. I don't think there's anything that's like super standout-ish about this particular version of the song. He doesn't even do what I was waiting for the entire song, which is in the Righteous Brothers original. There's a really high, I'm not even going to Well, that's it, the but... one that we all know, but that's not even the original version, I don't think. Well, it was, I think it was written for them. They're, oh, I think okay. they're original performers. Either way, I was like, oh, Roy Orbison, he can do falsettos, but I don't know if I've ever heard him go that high. Are we going to hear him go that high on the I need your love? And he doesn't do it. So I was just like, mastered. probably didn't need to record this, Roy. <laughs> what about <laughs> Land of a Thousand Dances? <clears throat> well, first of all, the name of the album is uh, Big O, which I just love. <laughs> People it's st- really good. I follow him on social media. It's maintained by his estate, some family members. And a right. lot of the comments always are like, Big O, let's, you know, they're, they're just calling him Big O. Um, That's awesome. This song, um, you know, I've heard this song by, I forgot who it's like, um, Wilson Pickett did it in Mm. like a few years before that's the song that everybody pretty much knows it's been done by a few people i know this because you know being born in 1985 in 1994 here comes the hot stepper came out and it was a absolute bop and it sampled like or he sang the na 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 part and sampled the song so you know just this song through here comes the hot stepper murderer um is I've just always loved it. And I think that Roy's version is surprisingly good compared to the song that we know. Yeah, I think, Jeff, you're confusing because I looked up the earliest version I can find of this is Little Richard. Not, um, I forget who you just mentioned. A lot of people have done it. Yeah. But I I believe that the most popular was Wilson Pickett. I could be wrong, Mm. but, you know, when I was looking it up, like the original guy, Chris something or other, I can't read my own writing. Um, Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have done this. Oh, yeah. I see Ike and Tina Turner. So, yeah. I mean, it feels like I don't know how to describe this. It feels odd coming out when it did, which is in 1970. And being pretty similar to the original vibes. All I wrote down was like, this feels old fashioned. The kids are dropping acid and grandpa Roy is singing about the mashed potato. (laughs) 
it only came out three or four years after the original, I think. Yeah, but those were a big three years, Jeff. You're talking about the summer of You're love. Right. I, I don't know. It's fine. It just feels like <clears throat> the na 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 part does feel a little bit more updated. Um, uh, they, it kind of reminded me. I, I don't know if they've ever covered this song, but there is like Sly and the Family Stone vibes that I got. But the rest of it just felt a little like do the mashed potato. I don't know. Felt like a little. <laughs> 1950s i don't know all right mm. the next one is jim um, probably loved it i really did like it <laughs> i loved it it was really good dude i'm telling you jim roy orbison's better than elvis let's just settle this okay i mean i i, I haven't even said if i am talked into roy orbison but i'm ready to declare that he's better than elvis <laughs> oh okay <laughs> So I Fought the Law, you know, it's by uh, original song by the Crickets. A lot of people have covered it. I think the best version we've already decided is from The Clash. But Correct. I just, I put this on here because I didn't know if you guys knew he covered it, what you think about it. So what you think about it? Yeah, I've heard this version of the of this song before and uh, it's good. I mean, like, obviously it's not as good as The Clash. It's no. not as like think, in your face or I whatever. I think it's better than The Crickets. I think it takes the original and just adds enough of Roy to it. That's what I feel about it too. I definitely think it's like in the in between like the crickets and the clash. That's exactly what I wrote, Jim. I'm like, this is a bridge between because I hadn't heard this version, yep. but I've heard the crickets. And even like nerdy music theory wise, it's pretty much the same musically as the crickets, except for one major difference, which interestingly gets picked up in the clash version, which is the um the walking bass line. Paul Simonon does mm-hmm. maybe not these exact notes, but does a very similar bass um melody that as this version that's not really present on the crickets version which i liked nice you got it yeah this is another song i've heard yeah you got it came out in 1989 or 88 something like that it either came out just before he died or right after he died it was around a lot of the rest of this like came out around when he died Um, so you got, it was like his first number top 10 hit in 25 years. I think the last one was like, I don't even remember what it was in dreams. Maybe it was, it was like really long ago. So he, he did, wasn't really like in the cultural zeitgeist for a long time. And growing up, this song came out when I was like four years old. So, you know, it was on the radio. I remember growing up with, I remember my dad listening to it a lot. So to me, when I hear Roy Orbison, just like here's Roy Orbison. Pretty Woman, You Got It, like right up there. To me, You Got It came out the same time as Pretty Woman. You know what I mean? Because it, it still feels like that. When I it when does. I became when I got older and I was like, wow, this song is like from, you know, almost 1990. I was shocked. Right. Because he also did in 1987 re-record a lot of his classic hits. Like in Dreams, we kind of gloss over it, but that's from a re-recording anthology of his hits that David Lynch used in Blue Velvet, which kind of reignited oh. people's interest in Roy Orbison in 1987. And then You Got It comes out, and it it just feels like 1965 Roy Orbison rock and roll crooning. I I absolutely love this song. Well, it might feel that way in the writing, which I agree. This is like another iconic song. I feel like this was everywhere in our childhood, like on radio stations and commercials and movies and the mm-hmm. grocery store. I will say that production wise, it's pretty, pretty dated to like late 80s drum sounds and things like that, that 
Mm. A lot of these like older rock and roll guys got caught up in this. There's some really bad, unlistenable Johnny Cash tunes from the late '80s. Oh, for sure. Hmm. Um, I don't. But yeah, I don't. I mean, as a song, it's pretty great. I agree that it does have like a late '80s sound, but I wouldn't go as far to say as it's dated. I think it's a classic that holds up pretty well thirty years later. Jimmy, what did you think? I liked it. <laughs> I really liked it. I mean, I agree with you, Jeff. It definitely is up there with, like, Pretty Woman to me. Um, it's definitely one of his biggest hits. Of course, I've heard it. Um, it it's, it's really good. I think it's quintessential Roy Orbison to so me. So one of the bombshells that I found out last night, never even knew it. Because, like, you know, I have this LP. I've listened to it forever. I just found out that Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn of the Traveling Wilburys played on this song and helped him co-write it. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, for you got I, it. For you got it. Yep. And then the, off the same album, Mystery Girl, we have "She's a Mystery to Me." This one is. I'll, I'll say that this one has more of that eighty sound. It's still Roy, but like yeah, I said before, I it has that eighty sound. And again, bombshells left and right. Boom, 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 boom. This song was. Hold on, let me make sure I have this right. It was <laughs> co-written by Bono and The Edge. That's funny. <laughs> That's really cool. They they just wrote the song and like this sounds like a Roy Orbison song and they went to him and they like I don't think they played on it, but they co-wrote it for him. I I think it's got a beautiful melody. I love how his voice goes up in the chorus. Um Yeah. I I did think you know you said that it's a little 80s sound for me. If you listen to specifically the guitars, I wrote um it's 1989, and Grandpa Roy has finally caught up with the jangly guitar tones of the late 1960s. <laughs> I don't know, man. The, the most 80s thing in this to me is like the bongos that were yeah. everywhere, like like the Beach Boys Kokomo. Just do 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 do. Yeah, it just sounds. Mm, yeah. It sounds like the late 80s to me, but not like. I'm pretty sure these are digital drums as well that Tom Petty was oh, yeah. obsessed with. Likely, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> but I like yeah, the song. this feels. Yeah, I mean, I agree. This definitely feels like quintessential 80s to me. Um, but this also, it it vibes, man. Like, it's a really good vibe. For some reason, like, I wasn't really in love with, like, his, like, sadder, like, crooner kind of songs. But I was like, I, I kind of dig this. I don't know why. But, like, I can definitely, like, see myself, like, using this in a movie or something. I don't know. We, but, it's uh, funny I that Jimmy it. and I are like a, at exact opposite ends of the spectrum, I know, but we may funny. both end up liking Roy Orbison. <laughs> um, <laughs> we move on to an album, King of Hearts. It came out in 1992 after he died, a few years after he died. Um, mm. I know I Drove All Night was recorded in 1987. We'll get to that. I don't know the production of this album. Like if he was mid-album, if they just put together a bunch of stuff that he recorded separately. But we'll start with We'll Take the Night. Um I, I'll let you guys start. I have I have stuff to say about it. Jeff, Dan, why don't you start? I yeah. I have to test your musical nerdiness right here. Sure. <laughs> the opening riff to this song, bam, 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 was later utilized by Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Yep. Very famously on all the live versions of a song, but never made it onto an album. I Maybe because they knew that it was a lift from Roy Orbison, but did you recognize this riff? Yeah, it's, I don't, I can't think of the song right now, but I, every time I hear it, it sounds Three, like when, two, when there's a, hold one. on. I didn't hear what you said. It 
cut off over Discord. I just said I buzzed you out because you don't know it. You're just making excuses. I knew it no, right away. No, it, there's a chord change in one of his songs where. <laughs> okay, what is it? Just tell me. It's the live version of 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Mm. Yep. Bum, 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 bum. And he goes, oh, yeah, it's all right. So <laughs> I, I wrote, you're right. And I mean, I did. I know that I've heard that before. I couldn't pick the f-ing song in my head. Sorry, Dan. First swear this episode. Sorry, but, Jim. Yeah, but I so I'll just skip to one part where at the end I wrote that. It's very Bruce Springsteen esque. Yeah, right. It is, and and I've, sure. I've always Big thought Bruce that. Vibes. Hearing this, I was like, yeah. And then as I'm writing notes for this, I'm like, it's got horns. It's got like that Spanish guitar style playing. And like when I'm listening to headphones, and you know, I've heard the song a million times, um, and and I love it. It's like a song you blast in your car while you're driving, and you just listen to it whenever. And listening to this, I'm like, man, these background vocals are great. There's like that really deep voice. I'm like, man, that sounds like Clarence Clemens. And I look it up on Wikipedia and Clarence is singing background vocals (laughs) and playing the saxophone in this song. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that. Because like, every time I listen to the song, I'm like, man, this sax solo rips. And I just found out it's the big man. Big man and big Did him and Bruce ever do anything? Yes. And we'll get to that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I love this song. Everything about this song, just tonally. And it's it's a Bruce song, really. I mean. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's got the early R&B vibes, like Sam and Dave, stuff like that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I like it. And <laughs> I, kind of feel, I kind of feel the same about I Drove the Night. Or is it I Drive the I Night? Drove I Drove All night. night. I Drove All Night. Okay, whatever. I wrote it down wrong. Um, but yeah, it definitely feels more Bruce vibes. And, um, I think his voice really did fit for that kind of genre. Um, I don't know. I just think like the, the two mesh like really well. I think if you were to do like more stuff like this, I think I could like get really, really into him. So too bad he was dead. (laughs) I know. I drove all night was recorded in 87. It was never released. Cindy Lauper recorded the version and released it in like 1990, and it became like a top 10 hit. Um, I don't ever mm-hmm. remember her version. Um, and then this came out in 1992 on this album. They did a video with like Jason Priestley and some, I don't know, very awesome. corny video. This is <laughs> that's awesome. This is probably my favorite Roy Orbison song. Um, it, it, wow. So it is dated in that it does have major 80 sounds like the drums. And I don't hate that it's dated. I think that it just shows the time that he recorded it. Just the lyrics of the song are just, uh, you know, hit home to me personally. And just the vibe of the song and just the way that he sings at the end, like the way his voice is just going up and down and you could really feel that he's trying to get to his destination, to his love. It's, it's just such a great song. Definitely. Yeah. I'm saying it here. My favorite Roy Orbison song. I drove all night, put it down boys. Woo. I mean, it's a ripper. It's a classic tune. I, it's one of those songs that I didn't think I knew by like looking at the title. And then when I heard it, I was like, Oh yeah, this one. And if you really want to get into it, Celine Dion recorded a version I just found out like a year ago. It's not good. I feel like it inspired uh, an unreleased Bruce Springsteen song. If you listen to tracks, there's a song called Drive All Night. There is, yeah. I don't um, know if... It, it doesn't it sound the same, have. but lyrically it's 
feels like an inspiration. Right. <clears throat> um, then we get into, I mentioned at the beginning of this, one of the things that got me into Roy Orbison was his uh, Cinemax special Black and White Night. And this came out like the year after he died. Uh, maybe the year he died, but it wasn't released as an album until after he was already gone. Um, and there's there's some good songs in there, like Uptown's on there, all those classics that you know. And mm. I put Oh Pretty Woman on here. It's six and a half minutes, which uh, is great. And the reason I gave you this one, and I told you guys in a text, like, hey, you don't have to watch the video, but if you want to, it'll be very cool because you'll see that at the end, Bruce Springsteen has a lot of guitar parts in this song. Yeah. Um, oh okay i'm familiar with this version i don't know that i've ever seen the whole movie but i know i've seen clips from it probably on youtube Mm -hmm. um i really like it it's very good and and this song like you're taking a simple song like you said and stretching it like when you go to see bruce live and he plays for three hours he'll play a 15 minute version of 10th avenue freeze out like i want (laughs) to see a six and a half minute version of pretty woman and i and we get to with like awesome people like elvis costello's playing in it um it's great yeah, I mean, I think the production is really good. There's a couple points in the middle that the song gets a little repetitive to me, but watching it is helpful because there's something for your mind to do when the guitar riff is just going on and on. Well, yeah, plus you like see them kind of just riffing. Like it wasn't planned. They were just yeah, it was going a jam. playing off of each other. Totally, yeah. It was a Selah, as the Christ people say. <laughs> <laughs> um and then back to back uh, another can i just say of one of my favorite sure. recent things in the history of our podcast is jeff opening up more and more about his weird christianity background <laughs> it was only, it's it really was, funny in retrospect it was only a few years of my life but there was so much weird shit that i saw well your 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 <laughs> beloved mother took you to some weird places because i went to churches for a lot longer than you did and some of these things i've never experienced or even heard of um so a few years ago um two albums were released with the philharmonic symphony and they took like i guess the stems or whatever you call them of Mm -hmm. old roy orbison songs remaster Mm -hmm. them and they have a whole symphony playing his songs and these songs were it was orchestrated by his estate his sons like alex orbison and I, i forgot the other names so it's you know it's officially released and I gave you two versions. There's another album too. This is more like his his bops. The the second album is more of like his croony songs. They don't mm-hmm. rip as hard. So I just gave you these. We don't have to get too into them, but they they add something to these songs. And like he's been dead for 30 years. So any chance to listen to new Roy Orbison, I'm gonna take. So what did you guys think about Oh Pretty Woman and I Drove All Night? Yeah, I mean I'm a sucker for or- orchestral versions of songs. Um, like I, right after I started listening to the, uh, these, I was like, I'm going to listen to the Sonic or- Orchestra <laughs> version oh, of God. music, uh, because that's the kind of person I am. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I think like, obviously I don't think it's really changing the vibe of any of these no. songs, but, um, I, I think it's cool different hearing different versions with like the stems and stuff. I think it works better for I Drove All Night than it does for Oh Pretty Woman. I agree. Right. They add stuff that like, it doesn't detract from it. Like there's parts where the violins are kind of just like stepping down. They're like, yeah, uh, I, I think they're great. Oh, and one thing I didn't mention about, um, Oh, pretty woman, black and white night is that he posthumously won a Grammy for best male performance in 1991, hmm. which is pretty nice. cool. Um, yeah. So then Roy Orbison finally gets his wish 
in the late 80s of replacing Elvis Presley in the Million Dollar Quartet. Um, hmm. Yeah, I didn't know about this. Um, Johnny Cash released the Mercury albums. He was on Mercury Records. Um, in 2020, this was released. So from 1986 to 1991, it's a collection of all of his records. The first 10 songs, so disc one, is this group that I didn't even know about, um, consisting of Roy Orbison, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Carl Perkins. And Mm -hmm. this might not be the best song on there. I think it's eight minutes of just kind of like a fun song. Um, Each one of the songs kind of highlights one of them. This Mm -hmm. one is just all of them kind of riffing they're singing together sometimes you can't really differentiate but like there's definitely parts where you hear jerry lee lewis riffing on the piano at the end roy orbison's just going like ooby dooby bop 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 um i thought this was a fun way to kind of like close out the the playlist before we get to the last two songs i wasn't familiar with this either which i'm pretty surprised because i'm a pretty big johnny cash fan and i have heard the like really shitty memphis quartet million dollar quartet recordings um yeah, I mean, it's, it's not my favorite thing. It's a little bit drawn out and a little bit, I don't know, self-indulgent for me. But it's interesting. I, I'd like to go back and hear other songs from these sessions. Yeah, I think you should. It's 10 songs. It's fun. There's, uh, I found a video on YouTube of them performing it, and they're all just standing still, and it's so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I basically feel the same. But um, yeah, I mean, it just also just made me want to listen to more Johnny Cash. Hmm. So then I, I put a, I close this out with two Traveling Wilbury songs. Uh, Traveling Wilburys was a super group consisting of Roy Orbison, George Harrison, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, and the most famous one, Jeff Lynne. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, this album came out like a month before he died. So this, I thought this was a good way to close the album. Interestingly enough, uh, Jeff Lynne, I mean, people know him from ELO which uh, is a pretty good band, but he's also known for being a prolific producer. And um, uh, he commits some terrible atrocities on the production of these songs. Oh, wow. Um, Before we get into that, after we recorded... My phone's not on silent. Sorry about that, everyone. You just heard a little bit of the clash. Couldn't hear it because we're on Discord, but Uh they probably picked up on the recording. Um, After we recorded the first part, I've been looking for this LP every time I go to Red Scroll. And they posted it. And I was like, put that aside for me. And I went there and picked it up. And whoever owned it before me did not handle this with care. That's a joke. Because <laughs> um, the spine was destroyed. It was taped. Somebody drew Jeff Lynn's signature and pen over it. But the funniest <laughs> part is the other signature that they put over this was over Roy Orbison. Some kid put Lou Reed's signature, which I thought was very, very funny. <laughs> it does look funny. like old Lou Reed. <laughs> So that's funny. Yeah, I mean, I I like this album a lot. I think that end of the line, I I didn't want to give you handle with care too. So I gave you end of the line and then not alone anymore, which really highlights Roy Orbison. Mm -hmm. Mm. I have a hard time listening to the traveling Wilburys. Like I I think the songs are well-written and well-performed, but they're just so eighties that it's just like not really enjoyable for me. Really? Yeah, it's like it's one of the most unfortunate things ever because theoretically it's it should be like this awesome thing, but every time I like try and give them a shot, I'm just like, eh, it's kind of it's a bummer. fine. Hmm. I thought yeah. you guys were gonna like this. Okay, well, I mean the I songs know. are good, but it just makes me more disappointed when I listen to the Traveling Wilburys because I'm like, if this was recorded like Rick Rubin style, like American stripped down, these would be like oh, some yeah. of the greatest things ever. 
I mean, you're mm. right. It does sound exactly like George Harrison at the time. And it sounds exactly like Tom Petty at the time. But then as I'm doing this retrospective, you have Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn working on mystery girl, which was a few years before this. Um, and then traveling Woolberries did come out with a second album called volume three, which is funny after Roy Orbison yeah. died. And, yeah. and that is bad. That's not a good album. Yeah. Um, that's why they kind of didn't do anything else, but yeah, I don't know. I like these songs. I think not alone anymore could have easily been on mystery girl. It, it's just a straight up Roy Orbison song. Mm. Yeah. I have to admit, yeah. I didn't really listen to them that much because me neither. I ran out of time and I also don't really love the traveling Wilburys. Well, final pushes. I don't really have any. Um, these are 26. <laughs> I mean, I, I gave you a little bit of everything, right? These are 26 songs from a 30 year career of a life cut too short. <laughs> um, this is music that's brought me a lot of joy over the years. And there's a lot more to dive into whatever you like. If you like the rock and roll stuff, there's a lot more stuff on sun records. Um, I didn't give you every one of his hits. There's a, there's a lot more that are popular and really good that you can still find. If you like the croony stuff, same thing did not give you all the croony stuff. Cause it would be uh, a slog to get through. We're recording the second half. It's already at an hour and two minutes, not including the first half. So this is going to be a long episode. So I didn't want to give you literally everything. Um, kind of for that reason too. I want you to find more stuff. Go back and listen to the Johnny cash stuff. You know, there's nine more songs. Listen to the orchestral stuff. Um, if you want, they did a hologram concert in London. Maybe that'll come to America. You know, Oof. first we had Tupac, then we had Roy Orbison. <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot of stuff to find. And I think that even by exploring Roy Orbison's discography, you'll find stuff that he was inspired by. And then people who inspired him after, mm. you know, kind of a few years before Tom Petty died, I started getting into him and it wasn't through Roy Orbison, but you can see those connections. Um, and appreciate it a lot more. So that's that's my final pushes. You guys have any last thoughts before I ask you? I do. Um, uh, first, uh, I think Jeff made a playlist that was too long. Um, that's why this second half is yeah. over an hour long. No, I, I know I did, and I was not <laughs> holding back. I told you guys I was going to go all out. That's cool. Um, I think... I want to like take a step back a little bit and say that Roy Orbison's legacy is probably hurt by the progression of rock and roll what i mean by that is like he comes from a generation of performers and singers predominantly not songwriters so like the early 50s well mid 50s and late 50s rock and roll guys were like taking songs that were either like old blues standards or songs that were written by them or by other people and and just like making them into like fun performances and then when the beatles and other acts came along that started like really becoming like super talented songwriters it became the expectation that all singers and performers and and musicians could do that and i don't know that that was his strong suit i think he was like an extrapolator of existing songs and so i think he sort of got left behind some of his contemporaries who were able to make that transition like johnny cash and stuff like that but right i think that you know that's also his age so he was kind of just born at, uh, a few years too late, but yeah, he, it does seem like his career was, he was always trying to catch up. He was kind of always left behind by the spotlight. Right. Um, like he was he, the he, fifth he would, guy. Like, just, 
yeah, he would just get there in some fame and then kind of like slip back. Like there's a big gap from, you know, I fought the law to you got it. Like we're talking about 10, 15 years between Mm. those songs where I didn't put anything on the playlist because there's really nothing. Yeah, but I mean, overall, I think he's uh, he's incredibly talented as a singer and performer, guitarist. Uh, It's just a matter of like him sort of straddling this line of being like a big band crooner or an early rock and roll you know, rockabilly singer. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have any big overall thoughts. Nothing that I've, I haven't already said, like, obviously the bops are fun. Um, not super in love with the crooning stuff. There's some later stuff that I was kind of surprised about me enjoying. Um, like the, uh, she's a mystery to me. And, um, even like the Brucey things like, uh, we'll take the night and I, uh, I drive all night. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can ask us the question. Fellas, was I able to talk you into Big O? Yes. Yes. Ooh, yeah. I knew it was going to be a yes. But as we were listening to this, I was like, it's going to be a harder battle, but I still think I'm going to get there. I didn't expect any no, so I'm glad. I'm glad you guys liked it. Um, That's awesome. I feel really good now. Yeah, I'm I, I'm like an average. Yes, um, I think I definitely want to get more into his like slow, sad ballads. I think that I could make a pretty stocked Roy Orbison playlist, but I don't know if I'm going to like sit there and just pop on every Roy Orbison song. I mean, I don't. There's albums I just don't listen to because they're not good. Um, this went the opposite. I thought Dan was going to love the rock and roll stuff and Jimmy was going to love the, the singy stuff. And it's. Mm-hmm. 100% inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, completely the opposite. Um yeah, I'm I'm usually just here for the bops. Like that's what I was kind of expecting because whenever we talk about like oh like big groove and songs, Jeff you've always brought up like oh that sounds kind of like Roy Orbison. I and, do bring um, him up I'm, a lot because I mean he's... You do, yeah. Um so I was kind of expecting that. So when I did get those, I was more interested and uh excited. And uh yeah, that's that's what I was uh into this playlist. Speaking of what we're into, I'm happy. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. On the next episode, I'm talking you into a show that I'm into that is very much in the cultural zeitgeist. If you're into obscure female led dramatic small shows, Um, (laughs) you know, I am. And that is better things. The FX series um, created, written and starring Pamela Adlin of King of the Hill fame. Does it look like I know what a JPEG is? I just want a picture of a god dang hot dog. What? I, think I don't I'm understand gonna, any of that. I think I'm going to get a divorce because I say that too much and my wife hates it. Yeah. I, I don't even know the reference. It's King of the Hill. Dan, you sent that to me yeah. from TikTok. Yeah, it's a, it's very popular in TikTok now. Oh, uh, I, I'm, I didn't even associate that because Jeff was doing a Barack Obama impression. No, that was supposed to be angry. Oh, yeah, I never like, said it was a good impression. I was just saying. <laughs> oh, anyways, I'm talking you guys nice. into the first three episodes of Better Things. Cool, Watch cool, it. Cool, cool. Final cool. season debuts cool. when the episode drops. Cool, cool. Jeff, where can you find yeah. the podcast online? You can find the podcast on talkmeinto.com. That's our little hub. You can find all of our episodes there. You can find all of our episodes on Spotify. Rank us, please. Spotify just came out with a ranking mechanism. Give us five stars. Anything less, 
get out of here. We don't want you. No, we love all of you, even if you don't want to rank us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, you know, just anywhere you could find very cool podcasts is what I say. We're on Twitter at Talk Me Into. We're on Instagram at Talk Me Into Pod because we have to be a little bit different. We're on TikTok at Talk Me Into. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Talk Me Into. There's exclusive episodes once a month. We talk shit to each other. It's called Talking Shit. We're recording one today. What are we going to be talking shit about? We don't know. We hit record and see where the Lord takes us. (laughs) We're also, we have a show. It's a video show where we drink soda pop with each other. Me and Dan do, and Jimmy records it. It's called Soda Discussions. You can find that on YouTube. We're a dozen or so episodes in, and it's very fun, very silly. You know, 15 minutes a week. Just watch, watch the fellas have some fun with each other. Look at look at our unmakeup faces. Dan, where can people yeah. find you online? You can find me on Twitter under the name Danny underscore Breakdown. Um, you can check out my band Disqualifier. We're looking for labels right now, guys. If you have any labels that you would like to release our albums, punk rock. I yeah, listen to punk rock. Yeah, listen to us everywhere you listen to music. Disqualifier, Jimmy. How about you? You can find me youtube.com slash son of a fitch s-o-n-n-a-v-a-f-i-t-c-h and not on Jeff, social media mind you not on That's social right. right now yeah. you can find me on instagram at magic the clipping or i sometimes post pictures of people holding magic the gathering cards with gross fingernails that they should clean and clip or maintain better you can find me on twitter at j-e-f-f-f-f-f-27 that's jeff with five f's the number 27 Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. What will we talk you into next? JPEGs. Hating Elvis Presley. Talk me out of. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I am recording. recording. I am recording. Jimmy, count us down. Make it clap, baby. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> I'll make it clap. Three, two, one. Clipped. Okay. Cool. It's so weird that we don't hear the clap. We should say clap now. <laughs> <laughs> clap. <laughs> that defeats the purpose, but it's fine. Uh, I'm ready. All right, I'm Jeff, you start. can start it whenever. Okay. I'm ready. I don't think I put deodorant on. I didn't. Oh, uh, all three of us. <laughs> the state of trio. What? Stinky boys. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. Antiperspirant and deodorant yeah. combination. Out of curiosity, Jim, which is better for you to receive uh, an audio signal that is pretty small but never peaks, or one that's more full but occasionally gets close to peaking? Mm, I feel like when it gets close to peaking, it just ends up peaking. So I'd rather something a little bit quieter that okay. I can boost. And so post. I should err on the side of caution. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, be cautionate. Jim, what's better for me to not record my voice or to record my voice? Don't record. Okay. You're good. Well, I'm recording now, so. Can okay. you like do a Dante thing and record your vocals through your phone only? Wait, hold on. Hold on. This is this is Dante. <laughs> you guys don't know because i'm I'm using discord through my phone but i just moved my windscreen and did those hard d and t's directly into the microphone yeah so when jimmy hears it it's gonna go 
<laughs> Make a TikTok beak out of that. Beak, I said. I didn't say beak. I said beak. A TikTok beak. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm almost 40, and I like making beaks. Welcome to a bird known moment on TikTok. That would actually be a great format for bird notes since they're such short episodes. Dude. Oh my God. Bird note TikTok channel. Let's get it. It's I should we look to see if it's there? I'm gonna look. I um I actually like you just reminded me that I had a dream that I was Okay, Martin uh, Luther King Jr. <laughs> I was uh a guest on Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, you know, the person that like usually calls in. Yeah. And I was all ready for like the pun game and, and like what's happening <laughs> this week. And then they played like all new games with me and I sucked. I got like everyone wrong. <laughs> Dude, Bird Note is on here following 861 followers. That's that's too low. That's pretty sad for a nationally syndicated show. Go follow it, bro. Oh, I will be as soon as we're done. I'm being professional right now. I've been recording for almost three minutes. Are we going to actually do anything? No. <clears throat> we're just going to hang out. This is the podcast. We don't do topics anymore. Yeah, Welcome Bird to just talk about podcast. NPR shows. That is Jeff's podcast. What, NPR? No, just hanging out with no structure. No preparation. Yeah, that's fun. That's what talking <laughs> shit is. We're recording one of those today. That's fun yeah, to record, yeah. not so much to listen to. I don't know. Some of those, some of them are done well. Not many, but some of them. I've listened you have to, to really, really podcast. love the hosts. And nobody likes us that There much. was a show, I think it's very famous or very popular as far as podcasts go. And I listened to maybe the first five episodes several years ago called Town, which is a very funny name. And that's kind of what it was. It was just like these guys hanging out. And they, I don't think it was problematic, but with a name like Town, who knows? Um, we should probably start the podcast after that, Jimmy. Yeah. Well, this, this, hope maybe this we still you. have to sync. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, uh, and Bob. All right. Three, two, one. You should probably also guys... note that um, we clapped at like three and a half minutes into this track. Yeah, it's fine. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. All right. We're Dan, doing... you want to start the segment or do you want me to start it? Roar you started, Jim. Me start it? Okay. 